Good morning. Glad you're here today. 19 years ago today, my dad stepped into heaven. I'll never forget that morning. I know exactly where I was, and I can replay all of that into my mind. And a lot of you know what that's like. You've experienced having to say goodbye to someone very dear to you. And you can replay all of that in your mind as well. Those are days you just never forget. However, long before I was ever born, there was another day more important than that one. Another day more important than April the 7th, 2000. And I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. There was on some day many, many years ago, long before I was ever born, there was a nameless free will Baptist preacher who came to visit a young couple who had just moved in, a young married couple who had just moved in to the Keystone community in Johnson City, Tennessee. Now this young married couple didn't grow up in church. They didn't know the Bible. They didn't have a religious background. They, they weren't religious people. And as they got married and they moved into the Keystone community, they came into that community not knowing what would await them there. They, they didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They didn't have that kind of a background. They, this young couple didn't know anything about God or Jesus or the Bible. But as this free will Baptist preacher shared the gospel, something happened that evening in their home. James and Mildred Shorter heard something they had not heard before. And as they heard something they had not heard before, something happened in them that had never happened before. And that evening, they made a decisive decision to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I've thought about how did that happen how did that happen that this young married couple who didn't have a religious background, who didn't know the Bible, who, who weren't raised in church, and how did it happen that on that evening they made a decisive decision to be followers of Jesus Christ? There was two things at play. First of all, it happened because of what the pastor said, and it happened, number two, because of what God did in their hearts in response to what the pastor said. You see, they made a decisive decision that literally changed their lives because of what the pastor said to them that evening and because of what God did in their heart that evening. Because it changed their lives, of course, it ultimately changed our lives when they started having kids. I thought about it this morning. It's so crazy to think about, but there's a good chance I wouldn't even be your pastor today had there not been a free will Baptist preacher come to visit James and Mildred when they were first married and moved into the Keystone community. You know, I've read recently that the average person has 27 conversations a day. I mean, let me give you some advice. Don't say anything about that to your wife. This is not a good time to get in trouble, okay? But the average person has 27 conversations a day. We can talk about sports and movies and weather and clothes and TV shows. We can talk about politics. But when it comes to bringing up the simple gospel message, we shy away so often, don't we? I mean, we break out in hives. Our palms sweat. Our tongues get tied. We find ourselves talking about anything except Jesus. 
But the idea of talking about the gospel, the idea of interjecting Jesus into a conversation causes anxiety and fear in a lot of us. But what are we afraid of? Oh, I think we're afraid of at least four things. We're, we're afraid the conversational might turn into uh, an argument. We're, we're afraid that someone might ask a question we can't answer. We're afraid we might look foolish and pride kicks in. We're afraid that we'll forget what we've memorized, those verses in that presentation. We're, we're afraid our minds will just lock up and our mouth will just lock up. Sadly, sharing the gospel has lost its simplicity. There's a story in the book of Acts that shows what's involved in bringing someone to that point of decision where they make a decisive, life-changing decision. Acts chapter 16, a very simple story, but a very powerful story. Demonstrating the power of the gospel. Acts chapter 16, I'll give you the context while you're finding it. Paul is on his second missionary journey, and what I mean by that is, Paul traveled from place to place, from city to city, all across the world during that time, sharing the good news with people, telling people about Jesus, and that, that Paul had done that once, that was the first missionary journey, then he went out a second time, went out further on the second missionary journey, and sharing the gospel. And that's what we're reading about in Acts 16, beginning in verse 11, <clears throat> from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now, let me stop there for just a moment and give you a little bit more context. <coughs> We're told that Philippi was a Roman colony. That meant that it was Rome away from Rome. Basically, what the Romans would do is they would encourage their Roman citizens, especially their retired military citizens, to move out of Rome and to go to a different place in the, in the Roman Empire, to move outside of Italy and go to some other place in the Roman Empire. And they wanted those people to go there so that they could have a presence in that area. Uh, they were sent there, and they were expected to be loyal to Rome. They were expected to obey the laws of Rome. And they were expected to give honor to the Roman emperor. And in exchange for that, in exchange for their willingness to leave their homeland and go somewhere else and have a little bit of Rome uh, away from Rome, in exchange for their willingness to move away like that, they didn't have to pay taxes. That's a pretty sweet deal, isn't it? I bet if I said to some of you, you know, if you'll move to Minneapolis, you don't have to pay any taxes. You'd be calling U-Haul tomorrow, wouldn't you? You'd be, you'd be on your way. Well, Philippi was one of those Roman colonies. It was a Rome away from Rome. And we're told in that verse, Philippi was, was the leading city in that district. Now, there must not have been very many Jews in that area. It was definitely Gentile territory because in order to have a synagogue... The Jewish requirement for having a synagogue was you had to have at least 10 Jewish males in order to form a synagogue. When Paul got there, he was looking for a place to go worship, and, and there wasn't a synagogue, indicating there wasn't very much of a Jewish presence. It was Gentile territory. So, let's see what, what happened. On the Sabbath, verse 13, 
On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Paul knew there was no synagogue in the area, so he found out there was a river nearby, so he said, I bet that's where they're meeting. Because it was customary to, if you didn't have a synagogue, it was customary to have your meeting place near running water. Because that would be the place where you could, you could uh, purify yourselves in the running water and your ceremonial cleansing. And so Paul said, there's a river nearby. I bet there's some people that's going to be meeting out there for worship. And so they went over there for that. Now look what happens in verse 13 and 14. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Paul and his companions begin a conversation with some women who have gathered at the place of prayer. Now apparently, if you read the rest of the text, apparently they didn't just have a conversation, but it turned into a gospel conversation. Because we're told in verse 14 what happened as a result of this conversation. Let's see what happens. Verse 14. One of those listening was a woman named what? See if you're following. What was her name? Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyra, Tyra. Now, Lydia was a businesswoman, apparently a very successful businesswoman. Thyatira was a city known for its purple dye. Lydia was a dealer in this special purple cloth that was made, and God in His sovereignty brought her from Thyatira all the way to Greece, all the way to Philippi, so that she might hear the gospel message. It's interesting how she is described in verse 14. She is described as a worshiper of God. Make sure you read this in the text. Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. Now that doesn't mean she was a Christian. It means that she was religious. You see, specifically it meant that she was a Gentile who was not a full Jewish proselyte. Or to put it another way, she worshipped with the Jews, but she was not a Jew. Lydia was like a lot of religious people. She was interested in God, and she was seeking truth. So she went to the river that day, like she probably had done in previous times. She went to the river that day to pray to this God she was seeking. She went to that river that day because she was a worshiper of God. She was a religious person who was seeking truth. And while she was there, she starts this conversation with this man who walks up named Paul. Paul shared the word of God. And watch this. As Paul, watch this. As Paul shared the word of God, God opened her heart to what Paul was sharing. Just like my parents. A Baptist preacher, that free will Baptist preacher, shared the word of God. And as he shared the word of God, God opened their hearts to what they were hearing. Exactly what happened to Lydia. And not only to Lydia, but we're going to see to the members of her household, when they heard the gospel, they all accepted as well, and they were all baptized. Let's read the rest of the story. Verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate of the river, to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer, and we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Notice he spoke not just to Lydia, but he spoke to other women as well. We'll come back to that. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. 
And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Now watch what she says. Don't miss this. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, look at that. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Earlier in the text, she's referred to as a worshiper of God. Now she refers to herself as a believer in the Lord. You see, here's what happened to her. There was a decisive moment in her life. Paul spoke the word of God to her, and God opened her heart to the word that she was hearing, and she crossed over from death to life. She became a believer in Jesus Christ. Now she's not just a religious worshiper of God. Now she has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what you want for your one, isn't it? That's the kind of experience you want your one person that you're praying for to have, right? Your one might be your your family member. Your one might be your neighbor. Your one may be a a close personal friend or somebody in your school. But there's that one person that you care about. That one person that you, you really want to see them have this kind of experience. You want them to have that decisive moment where where you open your mouth and God opens their heart and they become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what causes someone to come to that decision? That's what I want to talk about today. What causes James and Mildred Shorter, what causes the people that you know, what caused Lydia to come to that kind of a decision? How do they come to the point where they're willing to make a decisive decision and place their faith in Jesus Christ? Well, I've already alluded to it, but let me give you the outline. Very simple. Number one, write this down. Bringing someone to saving faith in Christ involves what you say. Now, that's very, very simple. But write it down and let's talk about it. Bringing someone to saving faith in Christ involves what you say. Would you look again in verse 14? It says in verse 14 that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now that word message, Paul's message, might lead you to believe that Paul preached a sermon that day on the riverbank. But that's really not what that word message means. You might want to write this down in the column of your Bible. In the Greek language, the original language of our text, the word message is not referring to a sermon, it's referring to a conversation. She, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the message of the good news, is what it's talking about. The message of salvation. It's not talking about preaching a message, it's talking about a conversation. Paul didn't just have a conversation with these women, he apparently had a gospel conversation. And and here's what I need you to understand. Here's what happened for Lydia. God made his appeal to Lydia through the Apostle Paul. Don't miss that. The Lord opened her heart as she responded to Paul's message. So God opened her heart. Watch this. Paul was the representative. God made his appeal through Paul to speak to Lydia. The amazing thing is that God wants to do that through you too and through me. The amazing thing is that God brought a free will Baptist preacher 
because he wanted to speak a message to James and Mildred Shorter when they were young married adults. And he used this man to speak to them. Now it's right in Scripture. Put your finger in Acts. Go with me to the right and find the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to use your Bibles a lot. I hope you've got it with you and you've got it open. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 20. We are, therefore, Christ's what, church? We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. We are representing the Lord Jesus Christ as though God were making His appeal through us. You might want to underline that. As though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, Jesus is the one that saves them, but we are the ones who tell them how to be saved. Do you get that? Jesus is the one that saves them, but He makes His appeal through us. We are the ones who tell them how to be saved. Now, we're only responsible for giving them the invitation. We're not responsible for their response. Apparently, in fact, if you go back to Acts chapter 16, apparently not all the ladies responded to what Paul said. If you go back to Acts chapter 16, you hear that, that Paul has a conversation on the riverbank with the women, plural. But we only hear of one woman who responds, Lydia. And then later, her household. So apparently not everybody who heard the gospel message responded to it. But Lydia did. Lydia is the one who said yes to the Lord. You see, the truth is, there's only three responses whenever you share the gospel. Jimmy Scroggins uh, labels these responses as red light, yellow light, and green light. Now, anytime you share the gospel with anybody, you're going to get one of three responses, red light, yellow light, or green light. Now, that's not something he made up. That's something that comes out of Scripture. Let me show it to you. Take your Bibles and go with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Verse 32 through 34. Acts chapter 17, Paul is in Athens and he's preaching, he's sharing the gospel. And here's what happens. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them did what? Sneered. Red light, yellow light, or green light? I'd probably call that a red light, wouldn't you? Some of them sneered. Keep reading. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. In other words, we're not ready to make a decision, but we're interested in what you're saying. We'd like to hear you again. Guess what that is? Yellow light. Some of them sneered. Red light, we don't want anything to do with this. Some of them said, we want to hear more about this, yellow light. Keep reading. Verse 33, at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and did what? Believed. Green light. Green light. Some of them believed. You see, anytime you share the gospel, you're going to get one of three responses. Those who want nothing to do with what you have to say, red light. Those who are interested and want to continue the conversation later, yellow light. Or those who trust to receive Christ, of course, the green light. Leighton Ford put it this way. He said, if the gospel is true, 
we have an obligation to share it. We have no right to hold it to ourselves. Boy, that is, that is such a powerful statement. If the gospel is true, and God makes His appeals to others through us, we have a right to share it and not to hold it to ourselves. Now, so how does God bring people to that saving faith? First of all, it's because of what you say. Because you open your mouth so that God can open their heart. It's because of what you say. Number two, <clears throat> bringing someone to saving faith in Christ involves what God does in the heart of that person. He says, the, verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, some people mistakenly believe that the Holy Spirit is only involved in the lives of believers. But the truth is, without the work of the Spirit of God in the lives of unbelievers, no one could be saved. The Bible says that the person who is lost is spiritually blinded. They do not understand, they do not realize the true nature of their condition before God. They are walking in darkness. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is so good. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Some of you are going to find yourself in this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Paul says to the church at Corinth, I came to you, watch this, are you with me? Chapter 2, verse 3. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. Kind of sounds like us, doesn't it? You ever try to go to somebody and share the gospel and, and you went to them in weakness and in fear and with much trembling? Look what else he says. Verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of what, church? Spirit's power. Paul says, listen, I recognize something. I recognize that bringing somebody to that decisive moment of decision where they trust Christ, it involves what I say, but it also involves what God does. The demonstration of the Spirit's power. Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I love this passage because, first of all, Paul admits that he got scared sometimes. In fact, he got really scared sometimes. He said, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. And somebody, somebody might ask, well, Paul, if you're that scared, well, why did you say anything? Paul perhaps would have said something like this, because God can use my nervousness better than he can use my silence. God can do more when I open my mouth than he can do when I keep it closed. See, Paul knew that bringing someone to saving faith in Christ involves what we say, but it also involves what God does in the heart of that person. He opened his mouth and he shared the Word of God, and God opened the heart of Lydia to respond to what she heard. Same thing happened in Johnson City, Tennessee. The Baptist preacher opened his mouth and he shared the Word of God, and God opened the heart of James and Mildred. They responded to the Word that they heard. Have you ever thought about the fact that Paul of all people knew what a closed heart was like, didn't he? I mean, if there was anybody who was a poster child for a closed heart towards Jesus, it was the Apostle Paul. 
There's anybody who hated Jesus, it was the Apostle Paul. Anybody who hated the gospel, it was the Apostle Paul. He had a closed heart toward the Lord. But on the road to Damascus one day, he met the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden, God opened his heart. Got any closed-hearted people around you? They're they're closed-hearted to the gospel. They're closed-hearted to the things of God. You're one, maybe somebody that has a closed heart. But can I remind you that the same God who opened your heart to respond to the gospel can open their heart to respond to the gospel? Can I remind you there are no impossible cases? There are no impossible situations? God can open someone's heart, but we have to open our mouth. Basically, here's what you need to do. You need to tell the story of Jesus and let God do the rest. It's that simple, and I do as well. You see, the Bible says in John 6, 44, that nobody can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. That's just talking about God opening their heart. Now, I want to close by asking you to go to Colossians chapter 4, and I will show you a prayer that you can pray. Actually, three prayers that you can pray as you deal with this text. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I, as I, what? Should. Using this prayer, I want to talk to you about what Ron Hutchcraft calls the three open prayer. First of all, you can pray, God, would you open the door? Simply saying, God, would you give me a natural opportunity? Would you open the door so that I can tell someone about you. Here, and Paul says that. Would you pray that God will open a door for our message? It comes straight out of Scripture. God, open a door for this message. Open a door, God, that I can share this. So, so your first prayer is, God, open a door. Your second par- prayer is this, or second part of the prayer. God, would you open their heart? Come straight out of Scripture. You did it for Lydia. You've done it in my life. God, would you do it in their life? God, would you open their heart to the message? And then the third prayer is this. And God, this may be the hardest one, but God, would you open my mouth? Right there, Paul says, would you pray, God, will open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul was saying, listen, listen, when you pray that God opens the door, would you also pray that God open my mouth? And if you're taking notes, you might want to add one final scripture. I'll quote it for you, Ephesians 6.19. Paul asked his friends to pray this. He says, pray that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me. I love that. I want you to pray, church, he said, so that when I do open my mouth, God will give me the words to say. So three prayers to pray. God, would you open the door? God, would you open their heart? God, would you open my mouth? 
Because anytime anyone, watch it, watch it, anytime anyone makes a life-changing decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it usually will be, called, will be because of what someone has said and because of what God has done. Someone, someone opened their mouth and they shared the gospel and then God opened their heart to respond to it. So, many years ago, long before I was ever born, because this free will Baptist preacher came to see my mom and dad on April the 7th, 2000, when I watched my dad take his last breath, though grief filled my heart, I was celebrating that he was in the presence of Jesus. You see, what happened on that day so long ago changed my perspective of what happened 19 years ago. And you want that, don't you, for your loved ones. You want that for your friends. You want that for your neighbor. You want that for your coworker. There's somebody in your world that's like, I want them to have that experience because we're all heading towards an, an appointment, right? Their life could be changed because of what you say, because of what God does in their heart. You can't save them. Only Jesus can. But you can tell them how to be saved. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for that dear man, and I'll never meet him on this side of heaven, but that dear man who walked into my parents' home and just told them the good news about Jesus. I hope I get to see him in heaven one day, Lord. I hope I get to thank him for the difference he made in their lives and the difference he ultimately made in mine. Lord, I want to be that man for others. Would you help me? Would you help me, God, that I have a greater desire and greater compassion and a greater courage? God, would you open the door? Would you open their heart? Would you open my mouth? And I pray that. I ask it in Jesus' name. Every head still bowed before we stand. Let me say this. It may be that you want to come pray for your one, and we would welcome you to do that. Or it might be that there's a Lydia sitting in the audience today. Man or woman, you may be like her, that you're a religious person, but you're really not a follower of Jesus Christ. You may be a worshiper of God. It's possible to be a worshiper of God, a religious person, but you've never had that decisive moment when you decided to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Maybe the Lord will open your heart today to the message that you've heard. He's opened your heart to respond to that message. I hope that you'll come during this invitation. And let me pray with you. And you can invite Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. And let's do that as we stand right now.